0: and welcome to episode 272 of the Tick Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is Transforming Hearts, an interview with Blakely Boyd. My name is Claire Dalton.
1: And I'm Matt Sabatello.
0: Blakely has a heart of gold. She has always dreamed of doing missions work and bringing people to Jesus and being the hands and feet of Jesus. And this is her opportunity in her life to be doing this, even though she's suffering from chronic Lyme disease. Blakely has been suffering for years, and you'll learn this from listening to her episode that she's been suffering for years, and yet she's finding a way to stand in her power that God has given her and do the work of Jesus, which has been her biggest desire for life.
1: Hey, Blakely Boyd, and welcome to the Tick Camp podcast.
0: Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited to
2: be here.
1: Blakely, we're going to start a little bit differently today because you gave us a really powerful quote about the Chronically Care Project. You said that you received a care package from Claire Dalton, who is my special guest co-host today, and it changed your life forever. So I want to ask Claire to first talk to us about what is the Chronically Care Project, and then ask you, Blakely, to talk to us about how it changed your life.
0: Yeah, so the Chronically Care Project is a project that I started about three or four years ago, where I started out by sending blankets to people who are chronically ill, handmade blankets. And over the time, that kind of exploded into something bigger because I wanted to do more to give to people who are chronically ill and who feel lonely and isolated. And so what I did is I ended up expanding to a full care package program. And um, now I send about 100 care packages every season. And my goal is to grow that Um, just for the knowledge of people who are listening, our next batch of care package applications opens on June 6th. And then the next batch after that is October 3rd. And all you do is you go to my website, www.chronicallybeautifullife.com, and you can sign up for a care package. It doesn't matter what chronic illness you have, if you're chronically ill, or even if you're undiagnosed and you don't know what you have, but you're really sick please apply for a care package. We would love to send you some love and care and support through your chronic illness journey.
1: So just really quickly, that was chronicallybeautifullife.com. Am I saying that right?
0: Yep, that's correct.
1: Okay. And Blakely, if you could just talk to us about what it was like receiving this care package from Claire and her project and how it changed your life. That's a really dramatic statement. I know it's true, but I want the listeners to realize how powerful and impactful this program is that Claire started and now you're a part of this project.
2: Yeah, so I... At the time when she sent me the package, I was bedridden. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't walk. I couldn't um, do anything really. And so she sent me the package. I applied for one and it showed up on the perfect day. I mean, I was so sick that day and I remember opening it and every single thing inside of it was exactly what I needed. Um, It was beautiful and so special to just feel love I it wasn't just items in it it was the love that I felt through it that was so incredible to me and it changed my life because I felt loved and then I wanted to be able to give back and let other people feel the same way that I did when I received my package
1: And I know our listeners can't see right now on the Zoom window, but you're wearing a really cool shirt that says the Chronically Care Project. I think Claire is is wearing one as well. So you guys are like twinsies on here. And (laughs) now I kind of want to go back to our normal outline, Blakely. And let's start by talking about your childhood. I know you're 20 years old, right? But what was life like before you got sick? Were you living the traditional normal, quote unquote, life before you got sick?
2: Yeah, so I was right before I got sick, I was in high school. I was homeschooled all growing up, and so I was very active in my church growing up. That was the biggest and most important thing to me. Um, I loved working with kids. I taught kids at church. I was very active in my community as well. It was just so important to me to be able to share Jesus with the world, and so that's what I always wanted to do. I mean. So growing up, I did grow up just doing things in my community to try to help others and try to share Jesus with them. And then I also grew up in a big family. I have a big family. I am one of nine kids and we grew up on a farm. We have always farmed and that was a really special thing too because we got to learn how to do things that other kids did it while they were in school. <laughs> and so basically growing up I just had a normal childhood life and then I just my most important thing was serving my community.
1: Quickly, what was it like being homeschooled? Because I think a lot of people listening are curious what that was like for you. And did you have a social life? Did you have a lot of friends? It was it hard for you <laughs> to communicate with others because for me, I made most of my friends in school, and then you, you know you had these play dates. You know, I'm dating myself here, but you had play dates or you can you come out and play type scenarios when when you get out, get home from school. So, what was that like for you, and how was it different than being in school that were you know in that experience that I'm used to?
2: Yeah, so homeschool was amazing, and. I mean, yes, people do say, are, have you been socialized? Like, do you have friends? Yes, you do have friends. And yes, you do have a social life. And for me, it was in my church. Um, I've had so many friends in my church and it, homeschool was amazing. And it was the most
1: incredible experience of life. Do you remember ever being bitten by a tick when you were young? And were you aware of the risks that ticks presented to your health?
2: So I did, I did get bitten by a tick when I was about 10 years old. Um, It was on my left shoulder and I, I never got a rash, but I did have a tick bite. And at the time we had no idea how important it was to take care of that. And so we did nothing about it. And my mom just pulled it off and did absolutely nothing.
1: (laughs) Quickly remind us where, where did you grow up again? And are you still living where you grew up?
2: Yeah, I grew up in Alabama, and I still live in Alabama.
1: So you were bitten by a tick when you were 10 years old. You ripped it off. You didn't realize how serious it was until later on in life, correct? Yes. So walk us through the transition of being this happy, young individual who now is starting to get sick right before graduating high school. So actually, I got sick within
2: this time span of one day. So I was totally fine one day and then the next day I was bedridden and couldn't walk and couldn't see and couldn't do anything. Um before I got sick, I was out on a mission trip just a few weeks before and then I came home and I I did start having migraines all the time for about 2 weeks and then the random migraines just totally turned into countless other symptoms within the time span of a day. And I was bedridden by nighttime and I was totally fine that morning.
1: So I'm reading Dr. Rolls' new book right now. And he talks a lot about stressors that contribute to Lyme disease becoming chronic and making us so sick. And you noted that you went on a mission trip and as soon as you got home, you got sick. So were there any stressors, whether it was lack of sleep, whether it was emotional stress or anxiety about leaving home or any kind of physical stress that you did on this mission trip that you think could have contributed to your weakened immune system, weakened cells and allowed Lyme to take over and make you sick when you returned home.
2: Yeah, so it I did have a few things that I think may have triggered it, but mostly it was um, just general teenage life related. I mean, I don't think it had anything to do with the mission trip, but I did have a few triggers that, and stressors that
1: were just general teenage problems. <laughs> okay, give us an example. So, can you can you share with us some of those teenage yeah. problems that you're having that you think attributed to your weakened immune system that led to Lyme taking over, making you so sick so quickly?
2: Yeah. So, one of them was that I was extremely stressed for absolutely no reason about taking a driver's license test. Like, I could not fathom the idea of me going to do that, and so that. Totally, I was so stressed about that. And I, I have no idea why to this day. But now that I look back, I think that it was probably because of the Lyme in my system that was causing that. And then I also had a good friend who we kind of had stopped talking and everything. It was just like problems that teenagers have.
1: <laughs> but But I think you're making less of these problems, right? You having anxiety over getting your driver's license, taking that test, you had, you were stressed and upset because it sounds like you lost a very close friend of yours. Is that correct? Uh Uh-huh. Yes. So all these things are happening now, prior to that, this time, I think you were around 17, were you an anxious person? Were you a person who let things like that really have a deep impact on you? Or do you think that these were signs that Lyme was impacting your system and you were having worsened anxiety and extreme emotions because of Lyme disease at this time?
2: I think there were signs of it because growing up, I never, I was not really an anxious person. I mean, I was just so happy to just live life. And I mean, I remember in high school taking the ACT test was, I cried every single day. I was so anxious about it. And that wasn't normal either because usually I could just cruise through schoolwork like I was, I loved schoolwork and everything. And it didn't make sense to me at the time why I was so emotional about it.
1: Like, did you tell your your parents what was going on? Did you share it with your doctors? Or was this something that you just thought was the normal experience to get anxious, you know, about these things, even though you never were before?
2: Yeah, so my parents, they did, they did know. And it just, I mean, we just kind of thought that it was, because so many things in life were happening at once, because I was a high school senior. And I mean, in that time of life, so many changes happen. And so we just thought it was that. But now that I look back, I do see that I was extremely, extremely worked up and anxious over things that shouldn't have been that dramatic.
1: (laughs) And the reason I'm focusing on this, I know there's a lot of people listening that probably had a similar experience. And we want to make people aware to be more in tune to their bodies, so they can pick up on these signals earlier on. And I went much longer than I should have before seeking medical help when I was getting all these bizarre symptoms, both physically and emotionally, right? So at what point did, and I guess I want to back up. So you weren't seeking any medical assistance because you were choking it up to, there's a lot going on in my life. I'm graduating high school. I'm trying to plan my future. And it must be stress of being a young adult planning what's going on. And it's just so much going on that I'm developing anxiety.
2: Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see a reason to seek out anything because i just felt like it was normal life i mean i just didn't see a reason to seek out any help or anything like that
1: so so when you got back from this mission trip and it sounds like pretty quickly it was just like a switch flipped right and now you're really sick walk us through in detail what your symptoms were upon arriving home from the mission trip
2: yeah so once i got home it was actually a month and a half maybe afterwards I started having migraines and random head pain. It was horrible head pain. And then my body just felt so heavy. And like, I felt like I couldn't walk. I felt like I couldn't pick my head up. Um, I would just lay on my couch and just do nothing. And I remember in the very first couple of days, during the night I woke up and I was positive that I was going to die. I kept saying, I mean, I didn't share that with anyone at the beginning because I didn't understand it. But I really felt like I was just going to not make it at that time. But then we did seek out help and we start figuring out things of what could be wrong, because so many symptoms happened all at once and actually within a few days. Of the migraine happening, I suddenly had constant double vision and blurriness, and I, at that time, basically when I stood up, I couldn't see at all, and so I would just hold onto the walls walking through my own house because I couldn't see anything. It was
1: awful. So when you went to these doctors, well, who was the first doctor you saw? Was your first line of defense your primary care physician? Um, it was
2: a. Lyme literate doctor in Trustful, Alabama. And she, I had never been to her before, but we went to her because we had heard from someone else who had Lyme that she knew about Lyme and that I should look into it.
1: So that was your first doctor. Uh-huh. Yes. So who thought Lyme disease and put it in your head that you should be going to this doctor because she's Lyme literate? It sounds like somebody said, Hey, you could have Lyme disease, go to this doctor who, you know, wh- how did that come about?
2: So it's actually a really cool story. Um, I don't know if you've heard of the music artist, Elisa Turner, but she's had Lyme disease for about 25 years. And I randomly came across her music and it spoke so deeply to me. And um, I started listening to her all the time. And then I saw a post of hers talking about Lyme disease and her symptoms matched up exactly with mine. And so I actually messaged her and talked to her about it. And she led us to look into Lyme disease.
1: And was this a, how were you communicating with her? Was it on social media? Was it on Facebook, Instagram? How were you communicating? Instagram DMs. So it's it's amazing how the Instagram community seems to be more helpful in most situations than doctors within the Lyme community. You're not yeah. you're not rare in that case. So the reason I was building out your writing off your symptoms when you're having this you know new anxiety and stress over things in your life. Is now because that happened when you started to develop these physical symptoms. Was there anybody in your life, be it your parents, your friends, family members, anybody at all, who said, Hey, look, you know, you started to develop some of these these mental health issues. You had anxiety. You started to have all these, you know, emotions you didn't have before. Maybe this is all in your head. This is kind of weird to come home and all of a sudden be this sick this fast. Uh, No, no one said anything like that. In fact,
2: everyone was totally supportive. My parents are amazing and we immediately, after all the symptoms started, we immediately started looking into things of how to help me and the rest of my family, they were supportive and, um, I did have at the beginning of my illness, every friend that I had was totally gone within two weeks, which was extremely hard, but family wise, they were amazing and helped me greatly in finding answers.
1: All right, so you're 17. You're getting ready to graduate high school. Your family's very supportive, but your friends within a two-week window completely abandon you. So, did they did they get, did they say anything to you? Did they make any accusations to you? Was were they saying you were crazy? Were they saying anything hurtful? Or did they just, did they just totally ghost you and not not speak to you at all?
2: Oh no, they said nothing. It was just basically. I was talking to them one day and the next day they had all disappeared, like every single one of them. So there was nothing said and now it just, they just disappeared.
1: But I I just want to explore this more. I know this is a very sensitive topic, but almost every single one of us have gone through this. Were you texting them and they weren't responding? Were you calling them? They weren't responding? Were Were you chatting with them on direct messages and social media and they weren't responding? You know, give us a little more detail about how all of a sudden they were just out of your life.
2: Yeah. So there were text messages for a while and then there weren't and then there would be a phone call and then there wasn't anymore and then a few came to visit me once and then they didn't anymore and so it just kind of gradually fell off and that somehow happened with every single one of them
1: (laughs) and I know you had a pretty short diagnostic window but during the time you didn't have a diagnosis even once you had a diagnosis well, you do you think that it was hard for your friends to understand what was going on, A, because you didn't have a label, and then B, once you had a label, what's Lyme disease? What did that mean? Why is she the sick? And because it wasn't a disease they you can relate to and say, oh, we're going to work with you because you can get through this. It was just hard for them to be there to support you because they couldn't understand what was really going on.
2: Yeah, so it, it was a couple of months before I got a di- diagnosis, and it was within the first couple of weeks that they just totally disappeared. But in the time of looking for a diagnosis, trying to find a diagnosis, I had a lot of diagnoses that people had put on me, but I didn't really believe that they were true. And so we talked about these things. I talked about these things to these friends and it just changed so much. And it was, not even understandable for me. And so I think they didn't understand it because I didn't even understand it at the time.
1: Talk to us about what it was, some of those di- misdiagnoses. Cause you said you had other labels and diagnoses in that three month window before you got diagnosed. What were some of the things that you were being diagnosed with before your Lyme diagnosis?
2: Mm-hmm. So I had, because of all my vision problems, I had a few MRIs and I had lots of tests for my vision because it totally just, I was not able to see after just a day. It totally happened within a few hours. And so we went to all these tests and everything. Um, Some of the diagnoses were, I was told that if my symptoms didn't go away in six weeks that I had depression, I was also told that I probably had MS. Um, Then a bunch of other people would throw things at me that just didn't feel right and so I would look keep looking into other things until I found Lyme disease and that was it.
1: (laughs) The depression excuse. I'll call it as Crystal Hepner calls it a wastebasket diagnosis, meaning it has no value. The doctor doesn't know what's wrong. So I can't figure it out. If you're not better in six weeks Blakely, then it must be depression, right? Because it can't be, I don't know what's wrong with you. It means you're crazy. So when that was said, it sounded like though you were so in tune with your body so early on that you knew I'm not just depressed. Maybe I'm a little, you know, anxious and a little depressed because I'm sick, but I'm really sick. Is that true that you really were so confident in your body that you knew what was going on at that time?
2: Yeah, I actually did not at the time. My parents were the ones who really advocated for me. Um, when I was in that doctor's office, this doctor told me that she told me that that I had depression after six weeks if these migraine treatments didn't help. And my mom, she told her, she said she has never been depressed in her whole life. Like she is so happy and that was true. Like I had never been depressed in my whole life and all of the other symptoms made no sense with that at all. So it just didn't make sense.
1: But give us an idea of some of the other symptoms. Cause I know you had a lot of issues. You talked about being dizzy, lightheaded, stabbing head pains, migraines, nearly passing out, losing your vision, blurred vision, double vision. But I know you also had these heart rate issues where when you stood up, your heart rate would be erratic, right? So to me, when I hear that, that's like a pretty clear indicator of POTS. And that's very common in the Lyme community. So before your Lyme diagnosis, were any doctors saying, well, that's odd. When you sit up, you have all kinds of crazy stuff going on with your heart rate. Maybe that's POTS, or maybe we should do a t- tilt table test. And maybe we should explore that further. Was anything done to explore what that could be?
2: Yes. That was another diagnosis that a lot of people told me that I had POTS. Um, we were looking into doing more testing and stuff for that. But then just a few days later, it was when we discovered that it was probably Lyme disease. And so we just didn't go forward with that because they go hand in hand.
1: They do. So I know Claire's going to jump in now too and, and ask you a lot of questions. I've been dominating. I'm sorry, Claire, but I do want to ask. So who was the name of your doctor that you went to that was recommended to you? That is a Lyme leader doctor that ultimately diagnosed you.
2: Her name is Melanie Miller and she is in trustful, Alabama.
0: Blakely, I want to jump back for just a second, and I want to talk about your desires before you got sick and your goals and your dreams. And before we get into all of your treatments and all that you've been through, I want people to hear about what your goals and your desires are because that's a huge part of your transformation now. So tell us about where you wanted to go with your life after high school, before you got diagnosed and before you knew all this was going to happen to you. So when I was about 12 years old, um,
2: I read this book about a missionary who was a missionary in England at way in the 1800s. And I totally, after I read that, I totally had this feeling that I was going to be doing missions work and God's work for the rest of my life. And um, my desire, my number one desire was to be able to do missions work, to be able to do the work of God and just to be able to serve those who
0: need love and who need care and who need light. Yeah, that's amazing. As you guys come to know Blakely, you'll know that she has a heart of gold and I feel like she's always had a heart of gold and it's just been able to grow and bloom over time. So Blakely, okay, now we're going to fast forward back to where Matt left us off. How were you feeling about your goals and your dreams while you're in this place where you basically feel like you're dying and you don't even know if you're going to make it into your 20s or or your 30s? How are you feeling about your dreams and your goals and your desires?
2: So I, at that time, felt like I had totally lost any dream that I ever had. And in that time, it was, I mean, I felt like I was barely breathing at the time. And so I pretty much just gave up all of my dreams and I didn't think that they were going to happen. And I just, I couldn't even imagine them happening anymore.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really common thing amongst blind people. I felt the exact same way. It's funny how our stories align together because when I was about 18, that's when I got diagnosed, I felt the exact same way about all of my dreams. So, Blakely, tell us about your treatment journey. So, what were the things that you started with when you got really sick? The treatment options that you started with?
2: Yeah, I, when I first went to the first doctor that I went to, she put me on three very strong antibiotics, and I stayed on those for 10 months. And there's one thing, if there's one thing I could go back, and change is that I wouldn't have done that because it just didn't work for me. I know it works for some people, but it didn't work for me. And um, that was the first thing that I did.
0: Yeah, I think that's not uncommon either. Lots of people go on antibiotics and then they find that they that's not, it doesn't work. So what came after the antibiotics? Okay, so after that, we decided
2: that it would be better to go a, a more natural route and so I started on um, herbal tinctures, which I did not do well on either. Um, I would get, I would take one drop of something and totally be way worse for about two weeks, and
0: it it just didn't work out. But I did try that for a while. So explain to our listeners why why the tinctures didn't work out, and um, I'm assuming you're talking about Herx- Herxheimer reactions. Explain to our viewers why that didn't work out for you. Yeah. So I would take one to two drops of something
2: and it would make me feel so much worse, which is common with certain Lyme treatments. It would heighten my symptoms every single time. And then if I ever tried to go up on a drop, like increase by one drop, it was even worse. And so the Herx reactions were far too much for me to handle at the time. And so then I moved on to other things other than herbal tinctures and other than antibiotics. So what were those other things that you moved on to? So then after herbal tinctures, I started doing homeopathics, which have been the thing that has given me life back. Um, I did the Desbios treatment kits. I did four of those for about three different co-infections and um, Boreella. And those, those were the things that got me out of the bed and that got me
0: walking and being able to do things in life. That's amazing. Explain, explain to us how, what, which homeopathics were you using? I know you were using Desbio and things like that, the kits, but were there any like singular homeopathics you were using that helped with pain or nausea or symptoms that you were having any specific ones that you would recommend to people? So my number one
2: that I never leave home with and that I always have beside me is Nux Vomica. It helps me with nausea. I have a lot of stomach troubles and, um, nausea. I'm constantly nauseated pretty much. And so that helps me so much. And then with pain, I use Belladonna a lot. Um, Those two are the ones that I would say are the most used ones in my toolbox.
1: Like a couple of follow-ups on everything you're talking about with Claire here. So if you can just say again, the two natural things you did for nausea and pain, and if you know how to spell them, spell them. Claire, listeners are always looking for ways to help improve their symptoms and help heal at a deep level. So I think they'd be very interested in hearing what these things are so they can research them and explore them with their doctors if they're having extreme nausea or GI issues and possibly pain, which is so common with Lyme disease.
2: Yeah, so one of them not the, one for nausea is Nux Vomica. It's N-U-X-V-O-M-I-C-A. And then the one that helps with pain is Belladonna. It's
1: B-E-L-L-A-D-O-N-N-A. Are they, is that an herb or is that, a, is that a brand name? Is that a, is that a it's, name of a, of, a, of a mixture? Like what is that exactly?
2: It's a name of a certain homeopathic. Um, you can get them in pellets like you get them in pellet form. You can get them on Amazon or wherever you can find them online.
1: So you can, you can get them on Amazon and they're not Desbio. They're separate from Desbio, correct? Yes. Yes. Okay. So I also want to circle back because you were on the antibiotics, then you went to herbals, and then you went to home, you know, homeopathy. So when you were on the antibiotics, do you recall what antibiotics specifically you were on? I know you mentioned you were on several. Do you know, was it doxy? Was it, you know, what other antibiotics were you on, if you can recall the names?
2: So I know I was on doxy, and then I was also on Zithromax, and then I was also on Bactrim, and then there was one more. I swapped up two of them and I can't ever remember the name of the last one, but those were the main three.
1: And how long were you on those four? 10 months, 10 months. You said, right. Okay. And you made no progress. In fact, it sounds like you were feeling worse at the end of that 10 month window.
2: Yes. So I got, I stayed on them 10 months. And then at that point I was doing absolutely horribly. And my mom she looked at me one day and she was like, we have to stop the antibiotics today. And I just agreed, like we all were in agreement that that is what needed to happen because I was not getting better. I was only getting worse.
1: And I think that was a very smart move. You gave it its time to try to help and it wasn't, and you had to make a decision to move on. But I'm struggling to understand the difference between the second and third step. So I think you said it was was herbals to then homeopathy. So what's the difference between the herbals you were on, and then moving on to homeopathy. So could you give us some specifics? Like what were you on on step two before you went on to step three?
2: So I was on a certain protocol. I can't recall the name of it, but it was a protocol where you took maybe five different herbal tinctures, the ones that are liquid, and you would take certain amount of drops each day. And I could never, I just never could get past a certain amount of drops without feeling like I was dying. And so the herbals to me were a lot stronger than the homeopathics. The homeopathics seem gentler to me and easier to manage.
1: Why do you think your body was responding so poorly to antibiotics and then the herbals? It sounds like, you know, in listening to this, the herb, the herbals were very strong and very potent, it sounds like. And it sounds like the antibiotics were very strong and possibly your body was just so compromised it couldn't react to such aggressive treatment and probably couldn't detox the die off of all the pathogens. And if you weren't detoxing, you're circulating toxins and you're feeling worse. So I'm curious what your thoughts are looking back, knowing what you know now, why your antibiotic therapy and your herbal therapy failed and wasn't helping you feel better.
2: I have had a major problem with detox Um, especially when I was on antibiotics and herbals and we were learning about that at the time because we had never, we didn't know anything about this at all. And so as we learned more and more about detox, it got better on certain treatments. But I think looking back, if I knew how to detox back then those treatments would have worked a lot better.
1: Now, when you went to the, the Herbals. It sounds like the herbals were very aggressive kill protocol, meaning antimicrobial, anti-pathogens, right? So the antibiotics are just kill, 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 destroy your gut. The herbals you went on, it sounds like were herbals that were targeted for killing off a wide variety of pathogens. Is that is that correct?
2: Yes. And at the time, I was doing nothing for detox because I had no idea about that, so that did not help me
1: at all. Right. So what did you learn when you went to now homeopathy about detox? And how did you change what you were doing to allow your body to start to remove the die-off of toxins, potential mycotoxins from mold, and other environmental toxins that you've acquired throughout your lifetime? I learned
2: a lot about detox because, I mean, like I said, I knew absolutely nothing about it. And I learned how important it was because one time I was so sick that my parents looked at me and they kept saying, she looked just toxic. And so we started talking to a bunch of other people who had Lyme disease or who had had it for years. And they are the ones who taught us about detox and which options to detox with.
1: So you gave us your, your herbal recommendation, or I'm sorry, your homeopathy recommendation for being nauseous. You gave us your recommendation for pain what is your personal detox regimen that works best for you that you learned when you went on to step three with homeopathy?
2: So when I started homeopathy, I got the, um, alongside of the, the treatment kits from Desbios, I also got a detox kit that they sell. And that has been an absolute game game changer for me. I still use that to this day and I started using it about a year and a half ago. And that has been the game changer for me in detox.
1: So when you went on, I guess I do want to back up. So how long were you on the herbals for? You said they were tinctures, they were pretty aggressive, they were pretty strong, and they were kill herbal tinctures. How long was that? The antibiotics for 10 months, then you pivoted to the herbal tinctures. How long were you on the tinctures for before moving on to homeopathy?
2: Um, We did that for maybe four to six months. Um, I don't remember exactly, but it was around that time frame.
1: And when you went to homeopathy, were you still treating with the same doctor? Was he the one working with you to say, okay, antibiotics didn't work, let's try this. Okay, this isn't working with just straight up herbs, let's move over here. Or were you changing doctors as you were changing protocols?
2: So I ended up after doing the antibiotics, I ended up going to a naturopath who lives or who has a um, place close to here. And she was the one who introduced homeopathy to us because the doctors didn't mention it, but she was the one who initially got me onto homeopathics and taught me all about homeopathics.
1: Well, thank you for clarifying that, Blakely, because I I honestly was a little confused. I don't know enough about this bio. I don't know enough about homeopathy, and I think you made that pretty clear for, for me personally and the listeners. I appreciate you taking time to break that down for us, but I want to explore a little bit deeper the detox regimen. So with Desbio, it sounds like they have various kits, which are really bundles of products to do certain things. So you were on a bundle that was a Lyme protocol to kill Lyme disease and possibly other things. Is that correct? So it was like a kit. Yes. Is that how it comes? It's like I a box, you open it up and there's tinctures in it, right? Yes. Yes. And was that just for Lyme or was it for other things as well?
2: They have different ones for they have one for Lyme and then they have ones for every co-infection. And I did the Lyme one, I did the Babesio one, I did the Bartonella one, I did the Ehrlichia one. Um I believe that's all the ones I did, but they have one for pretty much every co-infection.
1: Were you ever did you ever bother to get tested through blood work to see if you have these things or were these clinical diagnoses based on your symptoms? with your original doctor and then your naturopathic doctor when you progress to homeopathy?
2: Yeah, the first doctor I went to did a whole big thing of blood work. And um, she did Lyme tests and co-infect- tested for co-infections as well. But I did not have a CDC positive blood test, but I did have bands that were positive on
1: my test. Okay. So when you now found this naturopath, did you just do the Lyme, Babesia, Ehrlichia, et cetera stuff and not have success and then introduce detoxing? Or right away, were you doing the detox protocol from Desbio and the other kill protocols for Lyme, Babesia, and Ehrlichia?
2: So the naturopath that I was going to, she introduced, she saw that I was having a problem with detoxing and she recommended that I start the detox. Um, detox kit first. And so I did that for a while before I even started the treatment kits.
1: How long was a while? We're talking a couple of weeks, a couple of months. It was two weeks, I believe. Did you feel better when you started this detox kit or did you feel about the same?
2: I was not doing well at all at that time. And so I really just wasn't doing good at the time. I couldn't notice a difference in anything until I fully went through a treatment
1: kit. Well, so the naturopath felt confident that you did enough to detox in a couple of weeks and then introduced the other, the other stuff, the Lyme, the Babesia, the Ehrlichia part of this bio. correct? Yes. Okay. So from a, from a treatment standpoint in this part of your journey, you had your detox, you had your Lyme, beast, your licky, and then you mentioned, obviously, and I'm probably going to mispronounce them. Feel free to correct me. Please do correct me. Nuxvamica and the Belladonna, the Nuxvamica for nausea and the Belladonna for pain, which are separate products that you got basically from Amazon or online from a reputable yes. seller, correct? Okay. Yes. Was there anything else that you were doing at this time that was helping you beyond what we just described? Um, that was
2: about all that I've been doing and was doing at that time.
1: So once you started the, after the few weeks of the detox, how did you feel when you introduced the kill protocols for Lyme Babesia and Ehrlichia? Did you feel worse? You know, what was that like transitioning into the, that part of your journey?
2: It's really interesting because up to that point in any treatment that I had done, I never could notice a pattern of anything. I was just constantly terribly sick and bedridden. But then once I started the treatment kits, I would have a, I would take the um, treatment and then I would feel terrible the next day. And then the next two days I would be able to get up and walk around and do things. And that was the first time we ever noticed a pattern of anything getting better.
1: Wow. So are you still on the Desbio products today?
2: I am on some of them. Um, Really. I just go by how I feel uh, and um, decide by that.
1: So walk us through what this was like. So did you did you have any friends left at this point? Was there any social component? Were you so sick and your friends kind of walked away that you were just focusing on your health and not really thinking about socialization at this point? At
2: that point, I was completely lonely and isolated to my bedroom and um because I couldn't get up and walk and I couldn't do anything. So I had no one to talk to. I did not have Instagram. Um at that point, I don't believe I did. And then, yeah, I was, I had no one to talk to except for my parents and my siblings.
1: (laughs) And this was pre-Claire, obviously, right? Yes. Okay. So obviously you're, you're bed bound, you're home bound, but how was your, did this affect you neurologically? I mean, obviously neurologically you had vision problems. So there's obviously a neurological component, but was there ever an impact of Lyme disease where it affected your ability to communicate, to think, to speak, et cetera, because that's very common with Lyme disease.
2: Yeah, um, that's been one of my biggest things is that if I'm ever um, in a flare or in a herx that I feel like I can't speak and basically I stare at a wall for however long it lasts and it, it makes no sense to me when it's happening, but then afterwards everybody's like you did not say a word to us for weeks.
1: Well, you're being interrogated pretty much on this podcast. This is a very rapid style interview and you're just very well with it and responding very well and very smart. So, I mean, it's kind of interesting to hear that you were at times where you couldn't even communicate and yet you're on this podcast now and you're, you're doing so well. Right. So I think that shows how much progress you've made from your treatment journey so far. Now, when did, when, when did, so, so just to get an idea time-wise, so you were diagnosed, I want to just kind of you know, zoom out for a second. You were diagnosed, you got sick when you were 17, three months later, you got diagnosed did the antibiotics, 10 months, pivoted over to the herbs. That was about a six month window. I think you said, right? Six months. Yes. Okay. Then you pivoted over to the homeopathy and that's what you're still doing today. And you know, this is the current journey, current part of your journey that you're at right now. Right? Yes. All right. So give us an idea as to some of the progress you've made. You know, we talked about obviously being bed bound and staring at a wall not being able to communicate and now being on this podcast and doing so well. So give us some hope, you know, how bad Blakely was and understanding that you're still treating and you're, you're, you know, you, you're going to continue on to heal, to be symptom free. You're doing really good right now, Blakely. So I want to, I want to see that contrast of where you are and where you are now to provide hope to our listeners.
2: So I remember, well, there were some days that I couldn't even remember anything and um, it would, I would wake up in the morning and then it would suddenly be nighttime again. And it felt like I was in an endless hole of sickness and Um, I remember my mom, she would sit beside me for hours and she would tell me to tell myself that I was healing. And the biggest thing to me lately has been looking back and seeing her tell me that and I never believed it. And then I think in the last probably six months, I have started telling myself that that i'm healing and that helps so much more than you could ever imagine because i mean i didn't think it was true she was telling me just tell yourself that you're healing like t- don't tell yourself that you're dying tell yourself that you're healing and i would just never do it like i refused to do it because i didn't believe that it could happen i was so down deep into this hole of i'm never going to get out of here that I would not tell myself that I was healing, but recently in the past six months or so, I've started telling myself that, and I've been able to do things. Um, The Chronically Care Project was one of the huge factors in me doing how I am today. I was very, very sick before I started doing it. And then last year, last summer, Claire posted a post about needing donations, and I saw it this is a funny story, but I saw it and I had just been in like a month long flare. I was doing horribly. Like I could not talk, couldn't move, couldn't do anything. And, um, I remember seeing the post and that was the first day that I was feeling better at all. And I suddenly had this idea and I was like, I have to do this. I I've got to do something right now. And so I start texting Claire and I'm like, can I donate this? Can I donate that? And she's like, yeah, sure. And so then this is the funny part, but I made these um, car hanger things out of wood. And that day that I was still pretty sick feeling, I told my brother, I said, I've got to do something and we have to go get wood outside to make these things. And everybody thought I was crazy because I like suddenly got up and I'm like, I've got to do something. So the Chronicle Care Project has been extremely healing and
1: incredible for me to be able to have things to look forward to. So I feel like it's a really important part of healing is is having purpose and having a positive identity and being able to look forward to something and have enjoyment in your life. And it's really hard to do that when you're so sick. Right. But you also talked about that, that pivotal transformation of I'm going to die. I feel like I'm going to die and I'm never going to get better to saying I am healing. I am healed, which is what your mom was trying to do all along. And it sounds like that was a really powerful transformation for you, and it's been for me as well. But I know a lot of people listening are like, "Oh, you can't, you can't talk yourself into healing." And I get it, you can't. But it does. There is science behind the fact of what you think impacts your neurochemistry, impacts what happy chemicals or sad chemicals you're releasing. You know, to keep it very simple, right? And if you're if you're not doing things to look forward to and not in a happy state of mind, you're going to be putting your body in a position where it's preventing you from healing in the way you can. So do you think that you were almost with those negative thoughts, putting your body in a sympathetic state of nervous system and preventing your body from really healing to its truest potential?
2: You know, I, at the time I felt so hopeless that I, I just didn't see myself doing anything at that point. And, um, telling myself that I was healing felt really stupid because I could not believe it. Like I could not get it into my mind that that could be a possibility that that was going to happen. And so if I could tell myself back then, um, one thing it would be to, even if you don't believe it, say it because you will believe it
1: soon. And, and that is exactly what I was looking for, because that's the same experience I had. And what I want to add to that for our listeners is what risk is there to start to have that mindset? Try to, even if you don't believe it, keep telling yourself, I am healing. I am healing. I will heal. My body is strong. I mean, this is a lime hack given to us by Cassidy Colbert, who was one of our, our earliest, almost, almost as early as Claire friends. And she did a brilliant lime hack where she said, You know, I for years thought my body was working against me, and I hated my body. I wanted a new one. I wanted to exchange it. But then I realized my body is strong. It's fighting for me. It wants me to heal. And that was that was a really important moment for me because I believed it. And then I started to take action too. So in addition to it allowing your body to be in a physical state that's more hospitable to healing, it also allows you emotionally and mentally to make decisions that are more rational and logical to take steps that are going to allow you to heal. So I think it's multifaceted when you tell yourself these things and you believe your body is strong and on your side it's going to make you more likely to heal but also give you that encouragement to take steps that are going to continue to you know allow your body to heal whether it's additional homeopathics, exploring other options to give yourself a better quality of life as you're going through this journey right? I mean so what are your thoughts on that lately?
2: Yeah, I totally agree with all of that. I think that it is just extremely important. Your state of mind and what you tell yourself is extremely important. And I remember at one point, um, well, like I said earlier, my whole life, it, my whole early life was focused on doing missions work and doing the work for God. And um, when I got sick, I lost a lot of that. But through all of that, My one constant comfort and my one constant friend was Jesus. And um, at the point where I decided I was going to tell myself these things, it wasn't me just deciding that. It was him telling me, you've got to believe this about yourself or else you're not going to go anywhere further. You've got to believe this to be able to say it. And um, he is the reason
1: why I've made it through all of it. Lately, I want to ask you a question, and this is around your faith. So we interviewed Pastor Dan, and he was completely bed-bound by Lyme, and he you know, was healed by the grace of God, and he's now got his life back. But he said when he was in the throes of it, he he believed that, and he told us in the podcast that God doesn't promise you health. He believed that he may have to live a sick life and be bed-bound his entire life, but he would be with God in eternity and regain his health at that point in his spiritual journey. Now, what are your thoughts on that? Because I never thought about it that way. Do you, you know, so when you were really sick and in the throes of it, you never lost your faith and you always believed you always had maintained that faith in Jesus. So did you believe that, Hey, I'm going to get better because that's, that's what God is telling me is going to happen. Or did you think that you, you know, accept the fact that maybe you'd be sick for the rest of your life, like pastor Dan did.
2: So I, I think that that is a very, um, similar thing to what I was thinking at the time um, I remember it was Easter Sunday when uh, a couple of years ago it was Easter Sunday and I was so sick I could not get out of bed and I remember praying and I was asking God is this gonna be my life forever and um, I didn't really get an answer on that. And I remember being so upset because I I didn't want to be sick forever, and I was asking God to heal me, and none of it made sense. But then I realized um, there are multiple verses in the Bible that clearly state that we will have trouble in our life, and we will have trouble in the world. And I think in that time I realized that He was the one sustaining me, that I could not do it on my own. And that Easter Sunday. Um, I laid on my back in my bed and turned on worship music and I told God that no matter what happened, um, whether I was sick the rest of my life or whether it lasted just one more day, that I was going to praise him and worship him through all of it, no matter what happened, because, I mean, we don't know the plans that he has for us.
1: So it sounds like at that point you surrendered. And said, "I don't know what's in store for me in, in this life, but I trust you. I'm going to worship you, and I know I'll be with you at some point." And you just basically stop worrying about the future. Claire, I'm curious, what, what are your thoughts on this topic? As far as you know, Pastor Dan's views on being sick, you know, in this world versus the spiritual life, and you know, did you go through something similar? And you know, what what are your thoughts on what Blakely's saying here in this regard?
0: Oh yeah, for sure. One thing that me and Blakely talk about all the time, actually, is how Jesus feels about sick people. Because in the world, and even sometimes in church culture, no matter what church you're a part of, people kind of look down on you for being sick. Like, oh, you're sick. Like it's either a fear thing or it's a, oh, that's too hard. Oh, I don't want that to happen to me. So I don't want to spend too much time with you. Whatever it is, there is a lot of culture of let's stay away from sick people. But one thing that Lyme disease has taught me and has also taught Blakely is that Jesus loves the sick. That's who we're supposed to go and be with. And I tell people all the time, go hang out with someone with Lyme disease for one day. It'll change your life. I promise you that because there's so much that someone who's chronically ill has to offer and that they've learned. And so for me, and I know Blakely feels this way too, if God has called me to be sick for the rest of my life, I will spend the rest of my life serving him, even if I'm sick. There is something amazing about the sick. And if you don't get better, it doesn't mean that you're sinning. It doesn't mean you're not praying hard enough. It doesn't mean that God doesn't love you. It literally means that you are chosen by God to go through this and you're going to get through it. And some of us heal and some of us don't. And Blakely and I have experienced that through all of really our connections we've made through the chronic illness community. And do we know why some of us heal and some of us don't? Maybe not, but in the end, we have to trust God through it. Because God knows, He knows the journey, He knows the battle, He knows what every single one of us is going through. And if you stay sick, He loves you anyway, and He's gonna walk right alongside you, even when you're sick.
1: I wanna push you a little bit harder on that, and Blakely as well, right? I wanna get both of your views on this question. So, based on what you just said, if you have the belief that some people will remain sick, some people will not, we don't know God's will, we don't know what's going on, but we need to maintain our faith. Do you think that if you have that viewpoint, that you're not going to take proper steps if you don't fully believe that you can get better, right? Because we've heard this from other people stepping out of the spiritual world. People have told us if I didn't believe I can get better, I would not have gotten better because I would have not done these seven things, was which collectively got me my health back, right? So if you don't, if you don't think you can get better, you're not going to take steps to get better, and therefore you never will get better. So if you take that idea that we hear from other people on this podcast and now apply it to your spiritual beliefs, do you think that there's sort of this balance of yes, God doesn't promise health in this world, but I believe I can get better and I need to keep fighting to get better because if you don't, you're never going to get better. Does that make sense? I want to know what your thoughts are, you know, both of you, Claire and Blakely on that subject.
0: Yes, of course. So there's a balance, I think. And God has a plan for each of us, like each of us, there's a plan, but life is also about choice. God sent us to this earth to make choices. So we have to realize that all of our choices, whether good or bad, have consequences, and so we're going in my view, we're going to make choices that are either going to lead to health or we're going to make choices that are going to lead to more illness. And sometimes we're just deceived and we don't know what we're doing yet. And that doesn't say anything bad about us at all. It's that we're just learning and we're on this journey, but God gave us this blessing to make choices. And so you can have a balance and I can say, you know what? Um, I may not get better in this life, and that's okay. But I can also say I am fighting for my life, and I'm going to fight no matter what because I have a work to do, and God put me on this earth to do this work. And I can't do it when I'm in a bed screaming and having seizures and puking my guts out. And with that balance, God does mighty things, and He's done mighty things for me. He's done mighty things for Blakely. And it's amazing because even two years ago, when you interviewed me on this podcast, I did not even understand that. And now I do. And it's only what, two or three years later, because sometimes you just got to wait and you got to wait for God's will. And that's not always an easy thing to do, but that's why we have faith because faith is going to get you through the darkest moments. Blakely, do you have any other thoughts on that? Yeah. So my thought on that is
2: that if you do believe that God has a purpose for each one of us, I believe that you don't just give up in spite of that. You fight as hard as you can fight and you look for the things that you think are the next steps. You do not just sit back and be like, oh, God says there are going to be hard things in this life. So I must just have to go through this as difficultly as possible. No, I think you have to fight and look for answers in the midst of that. And there is a balance. Like Claire said, there's a, there's a complete balance in that.
0: I really think it's important to know who you are through this battle. I'm learning this myself. And I know Blakely is too, is that this balance comes when you know who you are and you know that you're God's child and that God has a plan for you and it's mighty and it's powerful. And I really hit a blank in my healing journey when I didn't really know who I was. And now that I know who I am, And am I still learning who I am? Yes, of course. But now that I have more knowledge, God is showing me more and more and more that I can heal and that I've got this and that I have a mission and that he is right by my side, fulfilling this mission with me and sending me the people that I need to fulfill this mission. And that's how I really reached this balance to be like, okay, I can be sick. I submit to you. I've got this and you've got this. And I know that, but also I can heal too. I can do that. I can have both beliefs. They can coexist.
1: What I'm hearing here is, you know, Blakely, what I, I'm curious, to so when I was really sick, my grandmother was a pastor and she would always tell me, I always struggle with this balance too, right? And she would always tell me, Matt, what the scripture says you have to do is do all you can do and then just stand. And I wish I remember where this came from, but she just tell me this all the time. And what she meant, what, what that means is do everything you can do in your human power, everything that you are able to do as a human being do all the right things. And then beyond that, put your trust in God and don't worry and put your faith in God. And that's how you're ultimately going to enjoy this life and heal in this life. I mean, do you think that's really a a way to sum up what you're describing here, Blakely with Claire that do all you can do and then just stand and put your trust in God. That's what I'm hearing from you guys.
2: Yes. I think that is totally what I'm saying. And one of my favorite um, quotes is you do your best and let God do the rest. And I think that's very similar to what you just said and um i think that is one of the most important things to understand
0: i think we really have to remember what it was that jesus did for us on the cross like we are supposed to do our best but in the end we aren't enough without him because he died for us on the cross because he suffered in gethsemane for us he knows exactly what we're going through and that moment of him dying for us was him transferring his power to us to say that you can do this and that it's not it's not all on you to do it all by yourself you do your best but i'm going to bless you with the grace that you need to do the rest and god really does that in every ounce of our life i could take every treatment protocol under the sun i could do everything right i could i could Research all day long. And at the, at the end of the day, if I don't have Jesus in my life and realizing that he's giving me the grace to do that extra part that I can't do because I'm a human, then I'm not getting better. And I've really, especially in the past two years of my healing journey, and I've seen this in Blakely's healing journey too. If we don't have Jesus, we're not getting better. And that's just, it's the truth that I had to learn the hard way because I didn't realize I was putting, I wasn't putting enough trust in God. And then I realized, Claire, you are not doing all of this by yourself. You have me. I am right here with you. I am fighting for you. I love you. And when I realized that, that he's right here and he's not just this cosmic being in the sky, that's what changed things for me in my healing journey because I'm not alone. And I really have never been alone, but I didn't even realize to the extent that I wasn't alone. And that's changed a whole mindset shift for me
1: let's talk about even more about things happening behind the scenes that we're not aware of. I mean, as an outsider looking in, you guys are 23, almost 20, you know, you're about, a, you're about a day's travel apart from Utah to Alabama, right? You're, you're both growing up in these farming families. You both have similar backgrounds in your faith, and then you meet online, right? So talk yeah. to us about how you guys came together and how your friendship formed. And I want to learn more about that. And Claire, if you can kind of pick up this part of the interview here and talk to Blakely about your experiences together, how your friendship developed. Yes, for sure. So
0: me and Blakely met through Instagram and I'm going to tell like my half that I saw and then I'll let Blakely like pick up on her half. Basically what happened, I had been on Instagram for, I don't know, a year, maybe a year. And I wrote a post about isolation. Literally the only reason being because I felt super isolated. And I was like, I don't know where to find anybody that is, you know, that I can just talk to about anything, you know, like everyone has people that they're really, really connected to. And then everyone has more of the acquaintances. And for me, I felt like I had a lot of acquaintances and I was like, okay, I need to write a post on isolation and see if anybody is feeling the way that I'm feeling. And so I wrote this post and I asked people to comment or to DM me about their experience with isolation. So I did this. And Blakely's mom reached out to me (laughs) and she told me all about Blakely and all about her journey. And she said, my daughter has lost all of her friends through this, this journey with Lyme disease. And so I just said, okay, well, if, if your daughter needs a friend, this is what I say to like everybody. If your daughter needs a friend, send her my way. I'd love to be her friend. I need a friend. (laughs) I don't think I said it like that, but you know, and so then she's like, okay, thanks so much. And then now I'm going to toss it over to Blakely because she's going to tell her. end. So the funny thing about that is that, well,
2: this is how I see that it was a total God thing that we met because my mom was only on Instagram for a couple of months. And so it was really random that she came across Claire's page um, because Like I didn't follow any chronic illness accounts. She didn't either, but she randomly came across Claire's page one day and then she messaged her and she comes in my room and she tells me, I messaged this girl on Instagram and told her all about you. And at first I was mad. I was like, why did you do that? You should not have done that. That I, I would have done that if I wanted to do that. Why did you do that? So she's like, I did not message her back like for a couple of days. And then mom kept saying, she's like, I think you should message that girl that I told you about. Like she's, you really should talk to her. And I was like, okay. So finally I did. And at first we kind of, um, we had just gotten new puppies, both of us at the same time. And so I just messaged her and told her basically that I liked her puppies and I thought they were cute. It was a really odd message. And so she responds, And then it kind of, after that just happened, like we didn't really have to do anything. We just really connected.
0: So Blakely, tell us a little bit more. I know you got a little bit into the Chronically Care project and how you got involved with the Chronically Care project. I just want you to highlight, what do you do for the project? Because people always see me. (laughs) I'm like, no, there's so many people involved in this project. So um, highlight yourself for a little bit and tell us what it is you do for the project. So for the past year, um,
2: since I first got involved, I, well, when I first got involved, I was trying to come up with things to donate. And, um, it was just really random. Like I just wanted to have something to do. And so I made some things and then I, decided to start sewing again. When I was a kid, I loved to sew and I would just sew for a hobby, but I hadn't sewn for years. And so I randomly pull out this old sewing machine that I got when I was like 10 years old and I start sewing all of these items. Um, And then for the first batch that I worked on with Claire, it was really funny because I sewed 200 scrunchies and about 25 pillowcases and then um, some other little things on that sewing machine. And it was so funny because it broke like every five seconds but I was like so determined to do this and to be able to make the items that I just kept going with it. And then, um, so I sew for the project Um, And then I also make other items that are not sewn items. It's just been really special to be able to do that. And you do see Claire, but there are a lot of people behind the scenes doing things and working on it, which is really, really special.
0: Yeah, it's really true. And Blakely makes all kinds of things, pillowcases, dog leashes, crayons, um, all kinds of things that she's come up with just on her own time. One thing about Blakely is I've never had to ask her to do anything basically for the project. She's always just like, Claire, can I do this? And I'm like, yeah, of course you can do this. (laughs) Um, She's always just so jumping into whatever needs to be done. And she just Blakely is such an ultimate example of Jesus to me because she never asks, let me know what I can do. She never says, let me know what I can do. She always sees a need and she fills it. And that's what she's really done for the project. She sees a need or she sees something that I need. I need help with. And she just jumps in and she does it. So Blakely give our listeners an idea of where your health has been while you are doing all these things for the Chronically Care Project. What have your symptoms been like? How, how are you feeling? So last year, when I first started working on the project, I was not
2: doing well. Um, A lot of the time I would be laying flat on my back in the bed working on things, which was hilarious, but um, that's pretty much last year. And then this year working on it has been so much better. Um, I do have symptoms and um, basically I call my days roller coasters because you never know what you're going to get from this 10 minutes to this next 10 minutes. And so it's really a roller coaster, but I am doing better than I was before. And, um, I do have symptoms, but I think I just know how to manage them better too.
0: Blakely, give our listeners an idea of how, how do you keep going through? You're doing so much for the Chronically Care Project. I mean, Tell the listeners how you keep going what is it that keeps you going when you're dealing with all of your health you have a hard time seeing um, sometimes you're straight up in the bed for weeks and you don't you you can't even move what what keeps you going what motivates you so when I first started working
2: on it I what motivated me then was just being able to do something, but now that I have done a couple of batches of care packages with Claire, um, it's definitely being able to see the joy that it brings people. Um, it's re- I've gotten messages and um, just heard so many people's stories of how their care package impacted them, and that is what keeps me going because you get to see truly how much it means to others. And I remember being in that exact same spot when I received mine. So it's really special to me and it's really full circle
0: now. Do you feel like the Chronically Care Project has helped you to heal and how, how has it helped you to heal?
2: Definitely. It has brought me out of, I mean, when I first started working on it, I was in this deep, dark hole of, I'm not getting better. Everything is horrible. Um, everything stinks. Like life is bad. That's how I was. That's where I was. And then I started working on it and, um, it brought me out of that. And now I'm in a place where it keeps me going every single moment of the day. And really, I mean, me seeing Claire doing what she was doing before I got involved, inspired me to do what I do now, which is really
0: incredible. I just want to point out, too, that when I first started doing the Chronically Care pa- project, my first batch of care packages was super chaotic. Like, I straight up, I didn't have enough items. I ran out of items halfway through. I didn't have enough hands. I didn't have enough things. Um, so anyway, that was the batch, your first batch was when I received a package. Yeah. Exactly. And it was very chaotic. And so when I started doing it again, I gave up for like, I don't know, six months. I was like, (laughs) can't do this again. That was way hard. And then um, (laughs) when I first launched inquiring about donations, I was just planning on doing like these little bubble envelopes. I was like, I'm just gonna make like a hundred of like four different items. And then I'll just do little, little things. And then after Blakely called me, And she was like, I'm going to donate all this stuff. I was like, I need to buy some boxes. Like (laughs) this isn't going to be enough, not even remotely. And so Blakely has really been a huge, a huge outlet to be able to grow this project. And now, I mean, if you guys follow my page, you can go and take a look at people's care packages and see how full the box is. And my mom made a comment the last time she was like, it's like a treasure chest. And I was like, that's what I want to do for the rest of my life is send people treasure chests of love and support and help. And that's kind of our goal now. And I just want to remind everybody that if you are interested in receiving a care package, June 6th is when care package applications open for the next hundred care packages. And then after that, if for some reason you don't get a chance to hop on and apply, they open again on October 3rd, go to my website, www.chronicallybeautifullife.com. And you can go and apply for a care package. Um, Blakely, I just want to ask you a few questions about the Chronically Care Project. Let's talk about the project so people can help us get involved. Um, How has the project changed your life, Blakely? And how are you seeing it change the lives of others? It's changed my
2: life by, um, first of all, me experiencing the love that I experienced from my package. And then also... Me seeing other people receive what I received has also changed my life because I feel like when they receive a package, they're not receiving a package, but they're receiving um, the love of Jesus because we pour the love of Jesus into absolutely everything that we do. And um, that is how it's changed my life just by seeing and being involved in it.
0: Yeah, for sure. Tell us about some of the miracles that you've seen throughout this project. I think talking about the miracles is one of the most inspiring things in the world to me. I'll go back and I'll read about the miracles that I've written down in my journal. And it really makes me want to keep going just in my line fight and in this project. And I think you feel the same way. So tell us about some of the miracles. Maybe you just pinpoint like your two favorite miracles ever and share (laughs) with our audience that. (laughs)
2: I say the number one miracle of the project is God's provision because anything we ever need, he provides it, even when we think it's not going to happen. And I mean, Claire has texted me so many times and called me when she's packaging packages she's like, I don't know if I can finish doing this. And I'm like, nope, God's got it. He provides it. Then he does every time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he really does. He, he provides every single time. And there are so many people involved in this project. It's not just me and Blakely. There are lots of people behind the scenes helping us with this project, providing us with what we need. And it's literally everyone from the people who are getting better and making a go at their lives to the people who are bedridden and literally making things from their bed. And I just, Blakely, I want you to tell people the story about Megan because that's something people need to hear. And I'll jump in when I feel like I need to, but oh my gosh, she was a miracle all within herself. So tell them the story. So I got on
2: Instagram, um, a little over a year ago, and I started to meet people on, on there who had chronic illness and things. And I met Megan on there, who is a beautiful soul. Um, I, truly believe that she was an angel and so I talked to her a lot and she would she was so sick like extremely sick but she every batch would make a hundred cards like she would hand make cards every time and seeing her do that was so so beautiful and just seeing I mean She's just one example of the people who pour absolutely everything they have, all
0: the strength that they have into the Chronically Care Project. And I just want to jump in there too. Megan, she made 100 cards for this batch in June. And Megan was really, really sick. And she kind of knew that she was passing away and that she was getting closer and closer to going back to Jesus. And so she made 200 more cards for the October batch. And Megan passed away the day that I got them in the mail. And it's kind of that question of if you knew you were dying, what would you do? And to her, it was about giving love to those who were chronically ill. That's what she would do if she knew that she was dying. And that's what she lived. That's what and, she and everything. Yeah, and everything she did. And so now I have these beautiful remembrances of Megan and her beautiful, pure spirit. To put in these care packages. And I'm probably going to just cry every time I put one in there because she was such a beautiful spirit. And me and Blakely miss her so much. But Megan is just a tiny example of, I don't know, maybe hundreds of people now who are suffering to no end. And yet they're sitting in their beds and they're knitting or they're making cards or they're um, coloring something or they're creating beautiful photos that they're framing or they're sewing. And that's a really beautiful thing that God has created through this project. It's not just the project. This isn't about what Claire has done or what Blakely has done. This is about what God has done. And we just want everyone to know that anyone can jump in at any time. We are always accepting donations year round now so that we can grow the project. We're doing three batches of care packages this year. And next year, we're hoping to do four or five. Donations are always open. We're always looking for opportunities to partner with businesses or people who would like to offer financial donations to us to help us with our shipping costs and our cost of materials because me and Blakely would like to keep making things as well. So um, financial donations, it's always open and then donations for items as well. So anybody who wants to jump in, please jump in at any time. We would love to have you be a part of this beautiful thing that we've created to send love and care and hope and support to the chronically ill because it's needed. Me and Blakely have felt that isolation and I know, I know we are not the only ones who have felt that isolation. And so please jump in at any time. You can DM me. My Instagram is chronicallyclaire. Look us up on Instagram, DM us anytime. Any ideas you have, sky's the limit on what you can donate. Um, as long as it's not breakable or edible, we're happy with it. <laughs> I know everybody who receives is happy with it too. So, um, any other thoughts or comments you want to make, Blakely, about the Chronically Care Project?
1: Claire, I'm just going to jump in real quick. So, we're going to put your contact information in the show notes. So, anybody <laughs> listening that wants to learn more about the Chronically Claire Project, your website, how to find you, Claire, how to find Blakely, and to just even reach out, right? Somebody who's feeling lonely and has gone through what you've been through, where you just feel you have these trust issues, they should reach out to you. I mean, you are just some, some of the most genuine people we've ever met in this community. So we highly encourage people, if you want to donate and you feel called to, please consider making a donation. This is the number one charity, not-for-profit that Rich and I support. We are huge advocates of the Chronically Care Project. I've personally benefited from a care package from Euclair that really was so powerful to me in ways that I don't think I can ever express. But we just want to make sure people understand how powerful your project is. And we are recommending that if people can, they donate items, time money, et cetera, to your project, because it's really changing lives. We wanna thank you for that. And again, there'll be information in the show notes to contact you directly and also go to your website. And Blakely, I'm sorry, no, the question was asked of you. I just wanted to jump in real quick.
2: Oh, no, you're good. I, I don't, I mean, Claire said it very well, and she explained everything and I agree with everything she said.
0: Thanks, thank you, Matt. Thank you for supporting the project. Thank you, Blakely. All right, Blakely. Last question. So, you've had this journey and it's been, I know you're not all the way better yet, but I mean, I've walked this journey with you a big chunk of it and I've seen you be transformed. I've seen your already huge heart grow into something even bigger and more beautiful than it was before. So, tell our listeners what is the number one thing you would tell people that is going to aid in your healing journey, whether that's a treatment or whether that's something spiritual or, um, anything. Number one thing you would say, what would you recommend to the people who are trying to heal from Lyme disease and in your exact same place?
2: My number one thing is to never stop trusting Jesus, to lean into him, to get to know him more because through your suffering and through your pain, if you will just try to get to know him more, I mean, it will absolutely change your life. And it will heal you and it will bring you joy and light and it'll bring you more blessings than you could
0: ever had imagined. Yeah, that is so golden. So golden. Um, I totally agree with Blakely. I am a huge advocate for Jesus. I always tell people you can take all of the protocols in the world, come to know Jesus. He'll really guide you. Thank you so much, Blakely, for coming on the podcast. We have so enjoyed interviewing you and getting to know you and talking about the Chronicle Care Project. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Tick Boot Camp interview with our guest, Blakely Boyd. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Blakely, please visit her Instagram at Making Limonade. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Boot Camp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Byte blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash byte to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode update of our Tick Bootcamp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on your podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library, Of over 250 episodes for specific keywords, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.